There we go. Fantastic. We're on. Excellent. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, Josh was talking about how um, that actually the, the God's kingdom has a king. And actually God's renewing presence in our life starts when we acknowledge that we accept God's rule, which is a really counterintuitive thing for us as 21st century Westerners because the ultimate expression of like um, of freedom really is the idea of individualism. That's what we get told, isn't it? That actually you can't be any more free when you are the lord of your own life and the captain of your own ship. And so here we find that actually God is saying, no, um, it's completely the other way around, that actually when we acknowledge God's rule in our life, when we acknowledge God as the Lord of all and submit to that, that is sort of the beginning or the way of, uh, of actually experiencing freedom. And then last week, Josh was talking about how there's God is in his reign, there's also an order. And there's a way of doing things. And actually, so much, of, uh, so much of Scripture is about unpacking in lots of different ways and lots of different versions, God's way. And the name that was given to the, uh, the, the first century, the first early church, was actually people of the way. We're invited to follow Jesus. So not only does God reign and rule, but there's actually a way. There's an order of things. Who's experienced, um, put up your hands if you've experienced this incredible sort of um, dichotomy or this incredible paradox of actually coming under God's rule and reign but experiencing more life and having more order. Like that, that's actually what we would know is the, 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 and be very familiar for those in coming to faith that actually submitting, yielding to God's rule and reign in our life brings a life brings out uh, brings life and brings order. Wayne, we might just put on all the um, lights, mate. I'm just I'd like to see all your faces. Ready? Ah, there we are. It's really there's a few people here who fall asleep. I know, so I want want to catch them out. Um, who also would be honest enough, and you don't have to put your hand up for this. Who also can recognise times when actually you've walked away, maybe intentionally and maybe just by omission or by neglect and your life hasn't been ordered in the way in which you would understand God would want for you and who has experienced chaos not just chaos and lack of order but perhaps even an experience of the world getting smaller or tighter or like mini death has anyone experienced that again you don't have to put up your hand I know I have thank you for thank you Cameron (laughs) sorry I should have called that (laughs) I I see that hand I see that we're doing it all to call now so um, last week, Josh actually talked about um, a way that through history, God's people have recognized there's sort of a flow, a rhythm that leads to more life, whether you find yourself out of step with God or out of order um, and bringing it back in, or perhaps for the very first time. And um, if you remember, he was, oh, that's right, Matthew 11. He finished with this verse, which is great. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. Amazing, um, amazing invitation. I'll show you how to make, uh, I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. 
learn the unforced rhythms of grace. That's such a beautiful poetic. This is actually the message version of Matthew 11. It's a paraphrase. It's kind of a bit heavy on the poetry, but I particularly, and sometimes it maybe stretches it a bit too much, but I really love and um, want to focus on that idea of an unforced rhythm of grace. There's a way of walking and living and ordering your life that doesn't feel, is unforced, but it has a rhythm that brings grace is this, this language for God's ability to do things in your life and through your life. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. Amazing. Such a great invitation, the words of Jesus there. And um, uh, last week, Josh talked about this rhythm. And I've kind of used, the, picking up on that rhythm language, I've talked about this week, I'm um, talking about rhythms of grace. Think about a dance. And so this is sort of like um, a three-step dance. So a waltz. Who here can waltz? I feel like I need to get Tom to come up and waltz. No, we're not going to waltz. <laughs> so the waltz is three, three steps, but it's repeated over and over in a rhythm. So you need music and dum, 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 dum. It has a rhythm to it and it creates something very beautiful when you see, particularly what's that, um, the Viennese waltz? Have you ever seen really uh, ballroom dancers do the Viennese? It's very flowing. It's beautiful. It reminds me very much of myself when I dance. Um, in my head, in my head. So I want to use that picture today to pick up on what Josh was talking about. Now, he introduced some Latin terms. So you ready for, to, uh, to get your Latin on here? This is called the way of union or unitava, the way of union. And it's actually been handed down to us um, through the Catholic Church. And now I get that some people, as soon as we sort of mention the Catholic Church, there might be you might actually flash straight to, well, that's, isn't that the opposite of like freedom? Isn't that like the religious, the old kind of, you know, many of us perhaps have grown up in different traditions, in more historical traditions, and felt like when we came out of those things that were handed to us, the very strict regimented ways of doing things, that was actually when we experienced more life. So I can understand when, and if you go and look up, you can go and search the history of this, you'll find that it's, it has been something that's been practiced in the Catholic stream. Um, and there's reason to be cautious, wary of anything that is sort of given. This is a bit like a framework. It's a little bit like, um, like a structure to life that gets applied. And in the Catholic Church, they use it really as a, like a, a form of spiritual formation. And they talk about it in probably ways that I, when I've been doing some reading on this, I kind of go, mm, yeah, I'm not so sure. I would apply it with a very prescriptive way that through life you go through three stages. Um, and so just there's the uh, purgativa, the illuminativa, which is not the illuminati, so relax, and the unitiva. And it's the way of the way of the purgative. It's like seasons in your life, and they sort of build on each other. And the way in which it's applied and has been applied, I'm I'm not so sure it has the same prescriptiveness. But what I want to encourage you this morning, and for you to see, and for us to maybe um, invite to experience, that actually, like so many things that eventually be, can become very prescriptive and like coats that are ill-fitting. It's actually been founded in a deep truth in Scripture. 
and and it's often those things. Think of, think of the songs that would just have been so meaningful when we sing them, but when we continue to sing them and sing them and sing them for years and years and years and years and years, they don't perhaps carry the same freshness. They're not the same vehicles that they once were for experiencing God's life and freshness. Now, anything we do in church, even Pentecostals, really, we could do things in a way that could become so prescriptive that they lost lose their initial meaning absolutely so there's a potential for this but we also I think we've always when we look at church history we look at particularly how those that have walked the walk of faith before us and we've kind of feel like we've moved on there's always the chance of throwing baby out with the bathwater, isn't there and I want to suggest to you particularly as we look at um, the idea of renewal if we accept as Josh has said that actually renewal in God comes from first acknowledging God rules and reigns, and then that God has an order, then there is a way. There is a way in which we can experience and receive that new life. And this is a way found in Scripture, a rhythm found in Scripture that's been powerfully used for God to bring renewal, not just to individuals, but to communities, to churches. And we feel like maybe there's, there's something for us to learn in this as well. So the purgativa, illuminativa, unitiva, we're not going to continue to... It might be helpful um, to turn it into the English version, the noun, the purgative, the illuminative, and the unitive. The practices in our life, the things that we do when we order our life. Um, and, and last week, I think Josh talked about this. It's maybe even more helpful if we take it one further step in uh, working with the language to get to the English verb. Maybe this helps us understand. Purging, illuminating, and uniting or unifying. So things that we might do, or, that, or perhaps it's, it's sort of a cooperation between us and God, where we go through seasons in life where in times in life where there's a purging and emptying out josh has used and it's a great um, metaphor josh has used the the example of um uh, it was i don't feel like i feel like guys don't come out so well in this metaphor but it is helpful he talks about the bachelor who is about to get married and needs to go through the house and prepare room for the new the bride to move in and there's things that just uh, are not appropriate or the things that need to go out the purging. So you get rid of things to make space for something new in your season. That That's purging. Now, I know um, we, when we had a meeting a couple of weeks ago with our teaching team and we were sort of discussing how we would use this language and feel it's important. And there was some really uh, good discussion to recognise, and it's worth noting, that the word purging, particularly in our modern context, has really very negative. Um, and and we're, we might connect it with things like bulimia and, you know, really unhealthy practices. So we get that's there. We're, we're going to try and push past it. I want to push past that. But to, but to lean into the idea of making room, getting rid of things that are no longer required. And actually, again, historically, there's been an emphasis in the purgative way when you are walking or doing this rhythm in life on the habits or behaviours that are actually sinful are bad for you and destructive it's clearing out now again for those of you who had um, perhaps quite stark experiences of coming to faith you might remember that time where you suddenly realized these things are no good these things i need to make space in my life for 
um, new ideas, new, perhaps these words are no good, they need to go. These behaviours are no good. Perhaps sometimes, and this is really difficult, and sometimes we don't do this well, I know it was a challenge of mine, perhaps some friendships or re- the nature of a relationship. I don't ever think it's about the person. I th- often it's the nature of the relationship. And, um, and we're saying this, this is destructive and not good and it needs, we need to make room for something new. That's the idea of purg- purging. The illuminating, well, here is, again, the idea of shining light. And this really, in, in this sort of phase of renewal, it really is the idea is that it's the act of God to bring in and show something new. So you've done the purging and making space and being intentional, and now God reveals something new, um, something that's life-giving, something that's affirming. And then this last one, the uniting or unifying, it's the idea of becoming one with God. It's sort of as that new revelation as that new encounter as that new um, level of maturity comes in it's like you you incorporate that it's coming from the outside and becoming at one with your spirit I think it's actually I think it's easier to see this more clearly and the 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 way in which God is at work in this as a pattern when we see the way it's actually right there through scripture so again Josh looked at the fact that in Genesis Right at the very start. And Genesis is always, it's, it's important. It, it's a really, really important book in the way we understand faith because um, God knew what he was doing at the start. So much of what we understand about who God is and the life of faith and about how the world is, we find that God has actually sort of um, imprinted into the first two or three chapters. There's a pattern there that again and again we come back to and say, oh, right at the very start, God was saying something that he's just been consistent with all the way through. And I think we see this where Josh talked about um, in Genesis. Now, the earth was formless and empty. There was a space there. Um, God was making self, uh, making room for himself. Um, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And then the illuminative, what, what happens next? And the Lord said, God said, let there be light. And he starts to form into the space. He illuminates creation and actually is in the process of creating. Um, and then when we get to the end of the creation narrative, we actually have this picture where um, on the seventh day, God sits down to rest. And it's not that he was tired, although it was a big job. The idea of him resting, and even that word is like, the picture is he's sitting in his rightful position of authority. Um, there's language, I think, even in our legal system for when the, the jury or the judge will rest now. It's like he's sitting down in his place. So it's, it's him at the end, he's saying, this is the way it should be. And the picture that we are seeing is man, creation and God in perfect unity. This is the picture of perfect. At the end of this process, everything's been made new lasted about three chapters <laughs> but here is that Genesis uh, 1 and 2 is so important because what we see is what does it look like when God gets his way completely because we know at the end it's going to return to that so it's important we understand well this is what happens before sin enters the world so this is the way it's meant to be this is the shalom of God and we see this rhythm here of the space God illuminating and creating you. And then it's all at one. We see this in the nation of Israel and through the Exodus. 
the plagues, the Passover, the Red Sea. There's a lot of there's a lot of death and leaving things behind and making room. And it's, you know, it, it, there's a void there. And God is actually takes his people out into the wilderness. What happens in the wilderness? Well, at Mount Sinai, he illuminates the Ten Commandments. Uh, quite literally, he illuminates a cloud by day and the pill, he's showing the way. He's illuminating the way. And where are they going to? The promised land is, again, the picture of this is how... It talks about a land flowing with milk and honey. Growing up in church, that never sounded that good. It should have been, you know, Coke and Skittles or something. But the picture at that time is like a land flowing with milk and honey. Obviously, you can't get anything better than that. Obviously, this is where we are meant to be. And so you see, and again, it's the re-establishment. There's a flow here where it gets created. What about the life of Jesus? Again... Jesus has this wilderness testing time. Even Jesus is, is tested to see whether there are things that he's going to attach to. You know, this is what Satan tries. Sinful, wrong pictures of God in the wilderness where he's stripped away, where he's starved for 40 days. There's, there's a making room, fasting, all of that. He has a wilderness experience. And we see passages like this all the way through. I mean, I could have picked so many examples here where Jesus talks, says something like this. Uh, this is in John. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him. So even in the, this, the, Jesus, fully human and fully divine, we see the relationship with God is God is illuminating for him. And Jesus, if you recall, he has this rhythm where he regularly draws aside and makes room. He goes to pray. You remember all the stories where he's sort of on a boat and you know, I need to go away or up a mountaintop. He's ma- always in this rhythm making room to go away and pray, to, to have a space that we understand that God fills. He keeps illuminating. He's got this relationship with God. And then again, so many passages. This is John 17. Such an, a powerful moment in, um, in you know, the last week of Jesus' life where he draws aside to pray, Garden of Gethsemane, and he prays this amazing prayer for his disciples. But then he says, my prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for all those who will believe in me through. That's us. It's like he's looking down like the tunnel of time and he's praying for believers to come. And he prays, what's his prayer? that they would be one, just as you and I are one. So here we've got this idea, and it's quite, I have to admit, be honest, it's quite mysterious to me about exactly how that works, but there is continually in the life of Jesus the picture that we become one, we become unified. We're going to finish this morning with communion. Again, it's this picture that's given to us about the idea that in Jesus we become a part of the body of Christ. We are unified in in a, a mysterious and a powerful way. I, I was reflecting on this. Um, we're, we're actually going to, in a moment, we're going um, to do something together. The last few weeks in our prayer meeting, particularly on Friday night, we've decided to st- sort of structure what we do around this rhythm because I just, I really believe, I really believe this is a season where God, through his spirit, is going to, just do something really profound. And so the question for me and for us is, how do, how do, what do we do? What's our part? I know, 
I know all the stuff that we really sense and want to see happen in your life and in our life is actually beyond me, but I also know we've got a role in here. So what's our role? What do we do? How should we order things? And so we thought, actually, in our, in our prayer meetings, our time together, and I really want to encourage you to come along if you can Friday nights. If Friday nights don't work, tell me another night that works for you because we would like to get as many people coming because the, the, just the little first fruits for those who've turned up so far have been really significant. Um, but we've decided to sort of structure it a little around this idea of creating space by being quiet. It's so jolly hard. I'm an extreme, in case you didn't pick up, I'm an extreme extrovert. I, I fill every space with words and activity. And so it is so difficult to actually purge all of the ideas and thoughts and words I have to make room for God. It is so difficult, but it's so good for me. I think it's good for everybody, but I know it's good for me. But in that space, then also we've been just people, we've, we've just had a sense to, for people to read scripture, illuminate, just God to bring the word in. And then after that, and this is a little bit, if you've ever been to prayer meetings, this is the counterintuitive thing, because often in prayer meetings, what do you do? We come and we start praying. Because there's things we're passionate about and we believe God, there's nothing wrong with that. But that's often the way we do it in prayer meetings. We come in and we go, bang! What we are, I guess, sensing God's encouragement to do, and it's this unitive way, is to first shh and listen, then let God speak, and then attempt to unify what God has said in that space with our spirits, with all that we have and all our concerns and everything, and see what prayer comes out then in attempt to unify ourselves, And I was thinking about this, and um, Romans 8, Paul, you know, Romans is a challenge for me. I know there's lots of biblical scholars here who who are all over it, but Romans for me is really challenging. Paul is, he really tries to, un, he really does unpack the Christian life together. And again, he says some mysterious things. But in Romans 8, he says this, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And then he searches our hearts. knows, uh, and, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. He who searches our heart knows the mind of the Spirit because he's one with the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. It's language, I realise. Here he's explaining that unitive way where we become one. And this is a, as a Pentecostal who believes that the gift of tongues has actually been given to the church because there's times when my heart's so full but my words and, and my words don't capture or can't carry what my spirit is saying. And the gift of tongues is an incredible gift in that, in that time. The gift of tongues, and it's not going to, you know, the gift of tongues has different purposes, but one of the things is that we pray unified with the spirit. And, and there's been times when, many times, when I feel like my, my words aren't right, but my spirit's unified. And I, I, my sense, I sense I'm hitting something, and it's meaningful, and it matters. And again, it's mysterious here. Um, it's not science. <laughs> I can't draw a diagram. I just know it's true. Where something's connected in my spirit, and I'm praying into, into something. It might be I'm interceding for someone, and I'm, I've run out of the words to say, but I want to keep praying. And I think this is this unitiva thing happening. Um, I'd love to say every time I pray, it's like that. But it's not. 
But what I do know is when I finish those kind of prayers, I feel renewed. <laughs> I, feel, I feel the river flowing. And so this is one of the things we've been practicing. And we're actually, I'm going to invite us now to do that. We're going to get the, actually get the team to come up. In the last few minutes, we're going to spend some time in silence. And I, I figure, again, the, the sense this morning that God wants to set our feet upon the rock, I think there's a context of what's going on in our world at the moment, perhaps in your world, the way you feel about that. But if it's not, you know, global pandemics and how that touches you, Maybe there's something else. Where I'm sure there's something else. I know there's something else where God wants to set your feet upon the rock this morning. And we're just going to spend some moments, some time, where we're going we're gonna to just purge thoughts, ideas. We're going to sit in silence and see. Sometimes it's, I, I feel it's like all of these things sort of steam off me. <laughs> you know, just letting them float away so that there's, there's sort of some space to God. And then um, I'm going to actually, uh, I was going to play something, but actually I'm going to ask Pete, could I get you to read Psalm 91? Because I'm just not sure our computer will, will, will work. Do we have it? Uh, yep, yeah, Psalm 91. Yep, so illuminative. We're going to bring the words of Psalm 91 in. And then, and again, we're not going to take a lot of time doing this, but at the end of that, um, at the end of that, we're actually going to come and share communion. Um, and I'm going to invite you to come up when we've featured someone 91. We'll just sing, I'll come up and get uh, the elements and we're going to take that together as one body. It's again, an act of being at one uh, with each other. And so just we're going to use this to just to close this morning. I'm not sure what God's get, going to do. Um, but again, it's, it's part of practicing this way of being intentional about ordering our life to make space for him letting him speak into our and then acting out of that and responding. We might even finish with a prayer time and then that we'll see how we're going. But we're just going to spend a couple of moments now and Pete, maybe after about two minutes or so, just declare that out for us and then we'll go from there. Thanks, Pete. Psalm 91, purging of fears, illuminating that God is our protector and becoming one with him under his wings. Whoever goes to the Lord for safety, whoever remains under the protection of the Almighty can say to him, you are my defender and protector. You are my God in you I trust. He will keep you safe from all hidden dangers and from all deadly diseases. He will cover you with his wings. You will be safe in his care. His faithfulness will protect and defend you. You need not fear any dangers at night or sudden attacks during the day. All the plagues that strike in the dark or the evils that kill in daylight. A thousand may fall dead beside you, 10,000 all around you, but you will not be harmed. You will look and see how the wicked are punished. You have made the Lord your defender, the Most High your protector. And so no disaster will strike you, no violence will come near your home. 
God will put his angels in charge of you to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands to keep you from hurting your feet on the stones. You will trample down lions and snakes, fierce lions and poisonous snakes. God says, I will save those who love me and will protect those who acknowledge me as Lord. When they call to me, I will answer them. When they are in trouble, I will be with them. I will rescue them and honor them. I will reward them with long life. I will save them. Why don't we just have, um, as we're, as the, um, the communion stewards are coming, just perhaps lead us in prayer. If there's something as that God's word is illuminating something in your life and you feel you can pray something at one with that, just where you are, why don't you um, shout it out so we can all hear it, but just lead us in prayer.